Welcome to ESG in 10, a podcast delving into the world of ESG, 10 minutes at a time. I'm your host, Charlotte O'Mara, Senior ESG Specialist at Fedante. Let's get into it. Hello and welcome to another episode. After many years of limited activity on green bonds in Australia, we have seen a number of developments in this space over the last few weeks. This reflects the substantial increase in activity in green bond development globally. Joining me in the podcast studio today to take us through the developments in the green bond space in Australia and what this means for sovereign bond investors is Tamar Hamlin, Portfolio Manager at Ardea Investment Management. Tamar, welcome to the ESG in 10 podcast. Thanks very much, Charlotte. It's a pleasure to be here as always. And this is a fascinating area, as, as we all know, and I'm very keen to update you on everything that's happening in this space. So in the recent federal budget, the Australian government made an announcement that has triggered a lot of interest from sovereign bond investors. Can you take us through this announcement and why it is so important to Australian sovereign bond investors, but also the Australian market more broadly? Sure, Charlotte. Well, look, what's most interesting of all is that we finally got news that the Australian government will be issuing a green bond. And that might be a little surprising to some of you because there's actually plenty of countries already that are issuing green bonds. You know, they've been in place for a number of years in countries like the UK, Germany, um, the European Union and so on. Even the Australian states have been issuing green bonds for a number of years now as well. So New South Wales, Queensland, most of the others have been doing this too. So it's really good news that the federal government is is finally um, reaching the point where they're going to be doing that as well. The timing is still quite late, though. Um, it's not likely to occur actually until the middle of next year. Now, they could well come in earlier. Um, they could, could get there sooner, but um, that's our best case expectation at the moment by the end of next year. Now, the big question that a lot of people have been asking is, well, why has it taken so long to get to this point? And there's a bit of an interesting sort of um, um, backstory as to why that is. And when we think about the structure of government here in Australia, one of the key differentiating factors is it's actually the state's that own most of the green assets. So things like the um, energy grid, things like the water supply, um, even fundamental essential services such as healthcare and so on, they're all sort of owned and operated by the states. Um, now, to issue a green bond, you actually need some, some green things that you want to spend money on. Up until now, the federal government actually hasn't had that many things it can spend money on. So there hasn't been that scope for a green bond. Um, now we're finally getting to the point where the government's realised that has to change. And that's why they've made the announcement that they have um, to move towards this issuance around the middle of next year. So it's obviously a really significant announcement and quite a big deal for sovereign bond investors in Australia, globally, other investors um, in other jurisdictions looking at us. And so then you know, you've already mentioned some of the green projects and things like that associated with the green bond development. What what questions does this big announcement pose for sovereign bond investors? I think what's interesting about this um, this news is that it poses the, the usual questions we get about any bond issuance, but it also poses some ESG-specific questions and some green bond-specific questions. So this is a bond that's just like any other bond. So, you know, as investors, we're very focused on the size of the bond that's being issued. We care about things like the, the maturity and, and so on. Um, we care very much about what yield or price the bond is going to come at and is it going to trade cheap or, or rich and, and all of those usual questions we face whenever a bond is issued. But there's also some ESG-specific questions and they relate to things like, well, is there going to be a green yield curve, for example, or is this bond going to trade 
at a discount or a premium um, compared to conventional existing government bonds that are out there already. So those are quite important questions that are new for this particular bond. So I think you'll find that investors are spending a lot more time on analysing this um, as it comes to market. There's also a third really critical question, and that is the liquidity of the bond. And that's incredibly important for our investors, because if we're going to be moving out of conventional government bonds that are extremely highly liquid into another government bond that is a very, very highly rated government bond as well, but might be more buy and hold um, type investors, there might actually be a small reduction in liquidity there. And so that's something that we need to look at very carefully as well, because we want to make sure that we're not getting any decrease in benefits um, for investors by moving into this bond. And I think you've taken us through a number of those ESG considerations and some of the ESG risks. And I think the liquidity risk is a really interesting one to think about in this context. As a sovereign bond investor yourself, and you look at green bonds all the time, what would you like to see from the Australian Green Bond Program? I mean, I think what we really want to see is a very high quality program. Um, we need to make sure that these bonds are highly tradable, they're highly liquid, as I mentioned. But we also need to see this program meet the very, very highest standards of issuance. Um, and what we mean there is that this isn't just having to pass the usual scrutiny that gets applied to government bonds of all types. It needs to pass an additional layer of scrutiny that is going to be very, very much in focus for investors given the green nature of this issuance program. And, you know, given that these um, green programs have been out there for a while now, it's actually incredibly important that those standards are met because those standards have been increasing year after year. And so because the government is coming um, quite late to the green bond market, they're actually going to have to pass a higher standard than they might have had to had they got there earlier. And so that, whether they do that successfully and the quality with which their issue is, is perceived is going to have a big influence on on how well that issue performs in the bond market. And, um, you know, there's every expectation that it will perform very well. Um, that's by far the most likely outcome, given very, very strong demand um, for this bond because it's the first one that's ever been issued. There's a big backlog of demand for this, as, as you could expect. There's a very, very small probability, though, that a large group of international investors might actually look at this bond and say, look, you know what, we're not happy when we're not satisfied with Australia's climate credentials and we're not satisfied with the enabled emissions from Australia's resources exports. And they might actually take a different view on this particular bond. Now, that's not necessarily the end of the world um, because international investors are just one part of, of the, the investor pool that buys this bond, but it's something that people will be looking at very, very closely as, as the issuance approaches. And I think hopefully given the delayed nature of the Australian Green Bond program, even though it is quite delayed and it's probably come along a little bit too late, hopefully they can look to international programs and learn some lessons there and really develop the program here to be quite strong um, when they've seen what's happened overseas. Now, we've talked a lot about the Green Bond Program uh, because that's the recent announcement, but it's not just environmental issues that are a focus to sovereign bond investors. It's also the social and governance elements. Um, but in a recent article in the AFR, you've written about investors wanting social as well as environmental spending in the bond programs and the nuanced perspective needed when looking at social factors in terms of sovereign bond investing. Can you outline what this nuanced approach looks like and the really interesting concept that you introduce in that article of a net benefit approach? Thanks, Charlotte. Look, I think this is one of the most challenging areas for us as investors. And the reason it's challenging is because, simply put, there's actually a lot of things that governments need to get done. A lot of them cost a lot of money in terms of um, financing them. And all of them are quite important, not just the green ones, but the social spend and all of the other activities that governments undertake as well. And so 
when we started looking at governments more closely, we realized that you can't just take the corporate approach. Um, the corporate approach to ESG is quite straightforward in many respects because you identify corporates, if they're doing anything bad or socially damaging or damaging to the environment, you simply don't invest in them. Um, so it's a very binary sort of type decision when you come to corporates. Once you start looking at governments, though, you find straight away that governments do a lot of really good things. You know, they, they're embarking on a, a clean energy transition, um, which is going to be incredibly important in terms of, of achieving climate goals. They provide a lot of incredibly important social services like healthcare and education, which the economy needs in order to keep growing, in order to be able to afford the climate transition that we're all trying to undertake. And so there's these fantastic positives that governments deliver. And that makes it really difficult when you start looking at, say, perhaps some uh, activities of governments that might not be as attractive. Um, so if you've got a situation where um, perhaps governments earn revenue through um, socially damaging activities such as gambling, you know, how do you equate the possible social harm that might come from some of those revenue activities with the clear benefits that those social spending programs deliver? Um, even at sort of a, a broader level, you might have... Um, you know, revenues earned from resources exports, for example, um, that a lot of um, countries internationally might perceive to be enabling um, carbon emissions, for example. And yet if those resources are being used um, to actually provide incredibly important social spending programs, do we really as investors want to cut off that government spending because we take a strong stand on, on the sources of that revenue, for example? Um, so there's some really, really complex issues that arise when you're looking at the very multifaceted set of activities that governments undertake. And so our way of thinking is to try and focus on the net benefit that governments deliver. Um, try and recognise, do we think governments uh, as a whole are delivering net benefit to society? And I think in most cases, in terms of um, advanced economies at least, that answer is clearly a yes. And if that is, answer is a yes, well then how do we approach going about addressing some of those less desirable activities that might occur while still maintaining the very valuable ones that they enable? Um, and so that really opens the door to quite important conversations um, around the areas of engagement with governments, um, quite important conversations around how to support governments through making this transition rather than cutting off funding as might be the case if you were just looking at a, a, a black and white corporate investment, for example. Um, so we recognise that governments are, are much more challenging <laughs> to invest in. We recognise that we can't just you know, divest, we can't just sell out of governments um, because we don't like what they're doing. We really have to work quite closely with them. And we're going to see that theme continue, um, we think. We're going to see that become even more prominent than it has um, become already. And we're going to see that a very topical issue as we approach the federal government's um, green bond issuance come the middle of next year as well. So it's going to be a lot of work for the industry ahead of that, I'm afraid, Charlotte. That's a really good point. And I think the social element of the transition is incredibly important. And we've seen that with the just transition and looking into how we are transitioning to a sustainable economy, we can't leave anyone behind. So I think the social components, especially from a government perspective, are incredibly important. Um, but there's a lot of activity coming your way in the next few months with the development of the Australian Green Bond Program and, and some of the engagement work that you will be undertaking. So we're, we will be really fascinated to watch this unfold over the next few months. Tamar, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Thanks very much, Charlotte. It's an interesting future ahead. And that is a wrap for this episode of ESG in 10. A big thank you to Tamar Hamlin and Ardea Investment Management for offering their insights into green bonds and what that means for sovereign investors. If you like this episode, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode. We will be releasing new episodes every few weeks. The content today was produced by Melanie James with audio production by Jonathan Stilianu. I'm Charlotte O'Mara and this is ESG in 10 with Fedante.